Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. Yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations. What you doing? Ran out of space on my phone, so I'm deleting some stuff. By singing dog. Bye, goal. I pronounce you. Bye, wedding ceremony. Stop. At Metro PCS, you get two free phones with twice as much memory. Really? Don't say bye to your memories. Switch to Metro PCS and get two free LG K20 Plus phones with 32 gigs when you switch two lines. Metro PCS. Wireless. Figured out. Coverage not available in some areas. Sales tax not included in phone price. Excludes numbers on the T Mobile network. See store for details and terms and conditions. What's up, golf addicts? Thanks for downloading the Tour Junkies Fantasy Golf Podcast. This week, me and Pat are breaking down the Dell Technologies Championship, the second leg of the race to the FedEx Cup from TPC Boston. Before we do that, we're going to talk uh, what happened at the Northern Trust last week. We're going to talk about Graham Dillette versus us DFS golf nerds. And we're going to talk about shipping grapes to North Korea. That's right, you heard right, shipping grapes to North Korea. If we have a little echo today in this episode from my voice, I do apologize. I tried to do as best I could, but I had to record in a very unusual spot this week as I'm out of town, so forgive me. We'll try to do better next week. But thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for the support, and may your screens be green. Enjoy the show. What's going on, Golf Addicts? David with the Tour Junkies. I got my boy Pat Perry on the line, and we are ready to get into the Dell Technologies Championship, Pat, the second leg of the FedEx Cup um, playoffs. But first of all, we're going we're gonna to take care of some housekeeping. We're going to have a little, a little debate here. we got a couple of announcements as well. But first of all, Pat, how are you feeling? Are you recovered from your weekend of fantasy football debauchery and lack of sobriety i am recovered i'm i'm probably back to about 70 percent uh it's but i expect it every year i mean if you went back and listened to the post gcl which stands for garden city league which is also uh, garden city is what augusta's that's kind of our nickname but anyway so if you went back to whatever show it was after last year's you probably would have been about the same about 70 percent maybe 75 but but i'm doing doing pretty good you know uh i had a, a few stories <laughs> uh one oh, any, any that you care to share yeah. well the first night um fell in the pool and my phone went <laughs> just completely gone <laughs> Uh, you fell in the pool with your clothes on? Fully clothed. I uh, had gone out typical. to a, a, a so nice, typical. nice champion's dinner. And uh, was, uh, anyway, there's you know nothing to it. Just fell in the pool. What and, made you fall in the pool? You know, I think there was, a, um, there was a pebble or something in the way, and I tripped over it. Hmm. A gravity pocket? Yeah. <laughs> a gravity gotcha. pocket. Okay. Uh, let's see. Now, this actually happened completely sober. Well, I'd say completely sober. It was early in the day, and we, we had just kind of started drinking. And uh, it was raining for a lot of the weekend, just kind of off and on. And most of what we did was we so we had a pool, a huge house on Tybee Island uh, just outside of Savannah. And we had a pool, which was fantastic. And there were some steps leading down to the pool and this kind of door gate thing that you had to go out of to to get into the pool area and you know it was a little wet on the stairs they were painted stairs so they were kind of slippery i wasn't wearing my flip-flops or anything and i hit the first step and just continued to stumble completely on my side down (laughs) down the stairs and bust like the door bust open into the pool area and everybody's out there playing cornhole and swimming and (laughs) At first, there was there was a little bit of laughter, and then there was some genuine concern for me. And it was funny because one of my good buddies, who also likes to uh, talk crap to me, similar to you do, uh, or like to, and he's sitting there like laughing at me, pointing at me, and he's like, "I got to take a picture. I got to take a picture." And another great friend of mine, Mister Alex Ware from Ware Stewart, 
uh, who we talk about, they do such a good job for us on all our graphics and Golby and everything else. He comes over and grabs me. He's like, you got to get up. You got to get up. So I get up. And nobody gets a picture or anything, so it was it was uh, I was saved from, from that kind of embarrassment. But uh, yeah, Alex swooped in, nice guy. But it was it was a good trip. Now in my draft, your draft is horrible. I wanted to talk about that. We can go ahead and <laughs> we can go ahead and get that out of the way. You posted the draft board on Twitter immediately after. Well, you said you texted it to me, and I said I hate your draft. And then you posted it on Twitter, and the listeners let you have it. I mean, they let you have it. Yeah, both 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 listeners who we don't even know. I think listeners who've never even engaged with us finally responded because they hated your team so bad. And and then we even had experts who know what they're talking about: Justin Van Zuden, Dan Bach, uh, Josh Hayes from Eighteen Birdies. All kind of experts chime in and, and talk about how how horrible your draft is i gotta be honest buddy like i know you're a good player and i'll go ahead and say it so you don't but you guys pat pat has won this league three times uh super bowl champion and this is a good league it's a competitive league these guys have all been doing it for a long time but i just think this year something happened buddy i don't know if it's that you're you turned 40 this past season and and you're just not as sharp as you used to be but i look at your team and and i'm concerned obviously you don't win you don't win or uh, you don't win your league on draft night. You can lose it, but you don't win it. I'm not saying you lost it, but I'm saying you got a big hole to dig out of for the rest of the season. So how do you defend yourself to me and those on Twitter who have roasted you in the last week? Well, I think there's a couple things, and and this is this is some stuff I didn't really post, but you know our our league is a little bit different than some leagues and that's maybe why you saw some quarterbacks go off a little bit earlier than they should we we give six points for a touchdown we have a huge bonus structure so if you go over 100 yards either receiving or rushing you get a five point bonus if you hit the 10 if you hit the 200 yard mark in either one of those you get a 10 point bonus uh, quarterbacks get a five-point bonus for going over 300 yards. So a lot of different things that are not similar to other leagues that, that are you know that are part of our league. Um, also, it was a keeper league. There are a ton of questions about how come you know David Johnson went off in the six, or they didn't even notice that Jordan Howard. I can't remember what round it was, seven or eight. So there was a lot of players not on the board when it came to me. You know, as far as the draft was concerned. So uh, you know. Odell was my first pick. You can't really say that's that bad. I mean, I wasn't thrilled about him, but no, I, didn't, I no. didn't like anybody behind him. I mean, I didn't want to take – I didn't really like LaShawn McCoy. I wasn't a huge fan of – you know, I debated. We, we talked about Ezekiel Elliott, but I didn't want to just take that risk. So I ended up – that's what I went with was Odell. I thought he was the best player on the board right there, and, you know, despite the little injury scare. So that's that's where – so I think round one was good. Here's where it went went wrong was round two yeah it went it went wrong every round after round one but just not good but see here's what i think the listeners and whoever commented didn't look at I, like i really want you to dive into it and look at the board and see who was better on you know before or after where i drafted that's where i didn't get a lot of you know just oh you're drafting it just looked only at my team but I mean, you look at Marshawn Lynch. Okay, so that you you hated that pick. Demarco Murray went off before me. I wanted him. Let's let's look at the next running backs. Fournette. Eh, I'm okay. I'm okay with Lynch over him. And hadn't played a down in the league. Crowell. No, no part of him whatsoever. Carlos Hyde. Not going to take him. Then my next pick was Dalvin Cook, who just like Fournette, you can say either way. I mean, whatever. Lamar Miller was the next running back after that. I mean, who on here would have been a better pick than Lynch is what I want to know because Jordan Be- or Jordan Howard's off the board. David Johnson's off the board. Le- Le'Veon Bell's off the board. Even Gurley's off the board. Ezekiel Elliott's off the board. So there's really not I a wouldn't whole— have, I wouldn't have taken a running back. Like that, that's, that was my comment to you. I wouldn't have taken Lynch. I would have taken Brandon Cooks, T.Y. Hilton— some of those receivers that went off after you, because I get it. I agree with you. I wouldn't have taken Fournette or those other guys. Uh, Dalvin Cook, I think, is ri- I think they're all a little more risky than Lynch. So I agree with you there if you're looking at running back only. I think I would have loaded back up on another huge receiver in Cooks or Hilton or um, somebody well, like that. I, and or I'm with Mari you there. Cooper. I just was I was a little bit concerned at that point because I wasn't a fan of a lot of the running backs after that that I was going to get left out big time on the running backs. 
and you go, let's, you know, we'll, our, our league is simple. We don't have a flex, so it's two running backs, three wide receivers, one quarterback, a tight end defense, and a kicker. So uh, obviously, you do want a lot of good receivers on your team. Um, but I thought I had some decent, you know, Chris Hogan in the in the seventh round. I thought was pretty good. I mean, he's I like he's, that pick. He's going to be the new. Um, you know, he's going to take the. I guess actually that was the eighth round. Um, so he'll take the place of Julian Edelman. Um, Fuller was the worst pick of all time because he had a collarbone yep. injury. <laughs> that was terrible. Um, I don't know. Amir Abdullah, I wasn't a huge fan of. I was really ticked because Christian McCaffrey went off right in front of me. And I didn't like C.J. Anderson or Ty Montgomery after him, so that was a little bit there. And here's one. I, I was wondering why everybody was kind of hating on the Kyle Rudolph pick. I love Rudolph. I think he's one of. I think he's going to be one of the top tight ends this year. Yeah, the, the Rudolph pick, I think, because I told you I don't mind him either, but I just felt like it was early. Because if you look at, if you look at some of the value that you could have got after him, you know, way deeper in the draft, um, I, I think you just could have done a little bit better. So that, that's all. We don't, have to, we don't have to break down the whole draft. No, but, we won't break it down. But I don't think, I'll say this, I don't think I lost it in the draft. And I typically no. make moves but you definitely didn't and do win whatever it. else. That's how I've won my titles. It, like, just going back, you did say three times. This is not a league that just started. These guys are very experienced, so it's not like I just you know got lucky three times. But it was a bad draft. Okay, I'm with you. Okay, not, yeah, okay. Um, enough of that. I, I do want to talk about another hot topic that was going on last week, especially on the Twitter world, and that is Graham Dillette's withdrawal <laughs> and his response to some some hate on Twitter from guys who rostered him. We were pretty we liked Graham Dillette last week and, and he definitely burned me in, in a number of teams. He checked the box from a lot of stat categories. But um played round one and then took off because of an injury. And I, and he does have an injury. He's had an injury for a little while now. It apparently flares up from time to time and I believe he honestly I mean nobody wants to withdraw from the FedEx Cup playoffs. You know like that I believe he was injured, um, but he caught some heat on Twitter and responded, you know, quote, tweet, quote, retweeted it and talked about how he doesn't care about our fantasy league. He doesn't care about our, you know, money that we're spending on him in fantasy. He cares about his health and he cares about his game. And basically, he, he mentioned the golf nerds and uh, he just has a real suck it kind of attitude. So there was a whole lot of takes flying around Twitter that day, especially. I think that was Friday. I mean, it was just, it was just peppered on, on Twitter among the DFS community. And a lot of people that we talk to, other, other you know, DFSers and other touts or podcast hosts or whatever, from, from Wiley to, the, uh, to Pat Mayo to Jeff Feinberg to all these guys were, were chiming in, and, and, and we chimed in on it. And I, I want to give you guys our take on this, even if you don't care, so you can fast forward if you don't. But we, we say this all the time. Number one, don't be the guy on social media who blasts the player for playing bad or, um, you know, or, or withdrawing for whatever reason. Don't be that guy. Um, and, and that comes from a number of things. Like, we've been watching golf a long time. We understand that golf is way bigger. It is way bigger than DFS. Like, DFS is bigger than ever, and it's growing, and fantasy golf is bigger, and fantasy golf adds a lot of value to the game and a lot of value to the viewership, but it is not bigger than the game itself. It is not bigger than these guys' career. And, and it's just in, in a – one thing that I think got overlooked on Friday's back and forth on Twitter is this, that – you know, right now, fantasy golf and specifically DFS is not, it, it's, it's still rather taboo on the PGA Tour, right? Like the PGA Tour has not openly said they support fantasy golf or DFS. They've not openly embraced, you know, DraftKings sponsorships and FanDuel sponsorships. And they've not partnered with the PGA Tour, or the PGA Tour hasn't partnered with DFS websites the way that like the NFL or the NBA has. It's not happened. And, and the, the public relations major in me makes me think until that day is here, like we need to be on our best behavior. Like we need to do whatever we can to bridge the gap between, you know, the DFS community and, and people who love golf and, and the PGA Tour and demonstrate that we're not all primates and we can all think for ourselves and realize that these guys 
do this as a job and, and we get to have fun against it and win some money against it and play with our friends against it. But it's important to remember that like we need to, we need to get these guys on our side, not push them away. So, and we blast players on this, on this podcast all the time. I mean, we've gone on rants, you know, everybody knows about my disgust for Jonas Blix. Everybody knows about, you know, some of the rants we've gone on and those are fun. And that's for a lot of it's for entertainment. And, and it's just, it's what sports talk people do. But, um, I, I really think that we have to be careful when we publicly make ourselves look bad when we aren't fully um, we're not fully embraced by the PGA Tour or every PGA Tour player. There are a lot of players that market themselves much differently and embrace it, like Baudo, like Willie Wilcox, like Kisner, you know, like like some of all the guys that have agreed to come on our show, and that's phenomenal. And that's their 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 decision to do, and I think it's a good move. Not everybody's going to choose to make that decision. Clearly, Graham Dillette is not interested in marketing himself in uh, you know to the fantasy golf community he's just not interested and he doesn't have to be like we wish he would be we think i think it's dumb that he doesn't want to be but for whatever reason he doesn't so he has that right but we just make it we just make ourselves look bad as a dfs community when we tag players and and rip into players for withdrawing for whatever reason especially an injury I, 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 so I want to get your take on that, Pat. You were you were falling in the pool when all this was happening. So I don't I don't know. We didn't really get to hear a lot from you on it. But what's what are your thoughts on on this whole thing? Well, and, and I did I did see you know your tweet about it, which was pretty pretty funny. Um, but I, I agree. I mean, it's just and, and and let's just be honest. I mean, it's a small group of players or people on Twitter that are doing this. But it gets magnified when even just a few are doing it. And you get a guy like Dillette or whoever else that get, you know is is gonna you know talk negatively about you know about DFS or your fantasy or whatever it is. And like you said, I mean we we need everyone on our side for that. Now you're free to speak your mind on Twitter. I mean that's 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 whatever, neither here nor there. But you know, keep in mind that these guys are are doing you know, the best that they can every week on tour. I mean, these guys, they fight for their livelihood every week. You know, they're not just out there, you know, messing around out there. And if they're injured, they're injured. So I don't, I don't know. It just, I don't think you could have said it better, you know, at all. I mean, you said it great. I mean, this is just, it's, it's something that DFS golf still has to make its way into mainstream PGA tour and whatever else. Uh, like it has with the NFL and and the NBA and and some of these others. So um, I think it's also important to think about the structure of professional sports leagues and how it's different than the PGA Tour. You know, when you're an NBA player or you're an NFL player, you are an employee of of that that owner, that franchise, True. which is which is underneath the greater body of the NFL or NBA. And you do have a responsibility to advocate for the game, to advocate for your team, to grow the game, to, you know, th- those guys all have media responsibilities and, and certain things that they are told they have to do in order to, to play the game. And the PJ Tour has some, I'm sure they have some demands on how often a player engages with the media or whatever, but the PJ Tour is not these guys' employer. Like, they don't work for the PJ Tour. They are not... Uh, they make money through the PGA Tour. They want to. They want to abide by the rules of the PGA Tour to make the PGA Tour happy, so that they can continue to play. But they are independent contractors, and they play many events outside of the PGA Tour, the, whether it's overseas or the European Tour or World Golf Championships or the Masters isn't a PGA Tour event. Like these guys do not owe the overall overarching body of professional golf anything if they don't want to. They just don't. It's a totally different structure. They are independent. They can really do what they want to do. And so I, I just, and I do want to say, like, I, I totally agree with guys like Matt Wiley who say, you know, Graham Dillette is missing a huge opportunity to, to market himself. I could, could not agree anymore. And, and the guys who, who embrace this and embrace how, you know, and, and I, I agree with this too. Listen, I didn't know who Graham Dillette was until Daily Fantasy Golf started in 2015. And I love golf and I watch golf and I couldn't have told you who Graham Dillette was. 
So, you know, it is kind of a shame on him that you're, you're in some ways, you're biting the hand that feeds, man. Like, the reason we know who you are and the reason, you know, you have some of the followers you have is because of daily fantasy sports. And if you don't want to embrace that, that suck, that's kind of sucky. And you're kind of a butthole. So, like, does, is my opinion of Graham Dillette a little different? Yeah, it kind of is. But we can't, we can't go off on a guy on Twitter, especially, and publicly. For, for stuff like that. It's just a bad look for the community as a whole. And you know what happens is Golf Digest picks it up and runs with it, which is exactly what they did. Golf Digest and Golf Channel, you know, they write a little stupid 400-word article about it, which just, again, like makes us look stupid, makes the DFS community look stupid, makes the fantasy golf community look stupid. They, they paint Graham Dillette in a kind of a victim light who just responded and said what everybody wants to say, and it makes us look bad. So it's not a good look, which is why we've always discouraged listeners from, from going on there and doing that. Um, so that, I, I wanted to clear that up. Like, Well, and I think there are two different things here. I mean, you, you, I, mean I don't think you should rip the player, obviously, for, for his play or whatever with their, you know, publicly with an injury. But it's a different argument altogether, like you said, with you know, his actions that he took. Um, I do think you, there is something to be said, just like you, you were mentioning that. I mean, it's not a look, good look for him as far as a marketing opportunity and everything else. But me, the media in general, the mainstream media, isn't going to take it that way. And they don't. I think there's also a little bit of a, a struggle there between a, a lack of respect for the DFS community from the media standpoint, as there is, you know, you know, the players or whatever it is. I mean, because I don't, I didn't read the golf digest article, but I'm pretty sure they probably didn't like ask somebody in the DFS world, like, what are your thoughts on this or whatever, you know, instead it was just straight bashing the guy who did it, you know? So that's another part of it too, is, is not only do, do you have the player, but you also have the media that, that doesn't seem quite fully on board with embracing the DFS community as well. When there's also a tremendous opportunity for that on the same on the same end, so that's a good point. That's exactly right. I didn't even think about it that way. But you know, Pat and I know a number of people in the media that cover the PGA Tour, and you know, most of them aren't really buying the whole DFS thing. They're just not. There's you know, Jason Sobel for ESPN does. Um, his colleague Michael Collins does not. We love Michael Collins. He's been on our show, but he's he's not really buying it. Um, he doesn't really buy into the fact that we've talked to Michael about this one off that he, he's not confident that that DFS really improves the ratings of golf, which we think is crazy, but he doesn't. And so you're right. It, it also makes us look bad to the media, which is not going to help either necessarily. Um, so you know, it's just it's just we're still kind of the unknown and kind of the underdog in this whole thing. And it's just not a good look when we, when we make ourselves, you know, do when we do things like this and, and it gets represented of the community as a whole, which is also a shame, but so that, that's my two cents. Am I a little irritated with Graham Dillette? Yeah. I think it was kind of a, 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 a dick hole kind of move to make, honestly. Um, and I said that in a, in a tweet, in a response to him. And I do want him to get better, and I do understand, and that's his livelihood. And it's tough to keep your card on the PGA Tour. Um, but obviously it's his prerogative that he's not really interested in marketing to us. He's just not. So whatever. We, we, we got to move on, and that's, that's just it. So, All right, that's enough of that. <laughs> um, our boy Ash Morrison continues to dominate European Tour DFS. If you are not reading Ash's One Groove Low article on tourjunkies.com every week, you're losing money. All over Julian Surrey last week. We've been on Surrey for a, f- a few months now. Um, he finally got, got a nice breakthrough win there on the European Tour. So props to Ash Morrison. Continue to, does a great, to do a great thing for us. So follow him on Twitter if you're not and read the article. Uh, it's really good stuff. Also, um, we've got some items for sale in the Tour Junkie shop, Pat. We, we got some inventory we are trying to move. That includes the rest of our white Tour Junkies polos are for sale. So they, the price has been slashed there. The Patriot Golby t-shirt price has been slashed. The Pod Bros t-shirt, the Beef, Willie, Kiz, Patton the Baudo t-shirt is, uh, is also for sale. And the Tour Junkies snapback flat bill. Is for, I think we only have like four of those left. 
So all of those items have been marked for sale in the store. You guys can go to tourjunkies.com backslash shop, I believe, and catch those items, and Pat can, can ship those to you. Please please do so. That would be a great, uh, a great way to support us um, and a great way to pay us back for the free content that we deliver each and every week, even if it sucks. Hopefully it entertains you. You know what? This, you just reminded me of something, though, because I, I have a feeling that we're gonna, I'm going to have a lot of shipping to do with, it, with this whole sale. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. last time I was in the, in the post office, there was a guy next to me, and he was shipping some grapes. Grapes? Grapes. You know, like grapes. Like G-R-A-P-E-S? Yeah, yeah. And he okay. had them all packed up. He had these ice things around him, apparently, in the box. He was very specific, specific with the, with the uh, person checking him out at the, at the post office there. And, and he had to get it there the next day. And I don't even know where this was going, but it was going in the continental, you know, lower 48 states. And it had to get there ne- the next day because this person could not get grapes wherever they were. And... He spent like $120 for these grapes that were, I don't, I mean, I would assume the grapes are like the store-bought grapes that are maybe, what, $3 a pound or something? I mean, I want to know, first off, who is going to spend that much money to send some grapes? And this person How much money the, did he spend again? It was like $120. And then, like, this person that's oh. receiving the grapes should be just ashamed of themselves because they're making whoever this is spend all this money to send them some grapes because they can't get grapes where they are. And where can, where can you not get grapes? I mean, what, like, was he sending them to North Korea? No, they were in the, it was in the United States. Holy smokes. Like, there is no way. There, there, that's, that's unbelievable. Grapes were they? Were they those cotton candy grapes? Have you seen those? Yeah, I've seen those. Those are nasty, by the way. I kind of like them. One hundred and twenty dollars to mail grapes is ungodly. That that's like an that's like that sounds like something only like Bob Parsons would do with a billion dollars, and yeah. he just doesn't mind mailing one hundred twenty dollars worth of grapes to somebody. Other than that, I don't know who has business to mail one hundred and twenty dollars in grapes anywhere. Well, I just unless it was have- like unless. Oh, I really just want to know that's too. A trip. Like, where can you not get grapes? North Korea. <laughs> but could you get Kim it there Jong next Il day? withholds grapes. Could you get it there next know, day? <laughs> I don't know. That's weird. Anyway, okay. That so that's my weird. shipping story for the, for the day. Nice. Uh, I thought of a new segment we need to we need to pitch. I ran a poll on Twitter. You guys voted on it. It was an overwhelming vote. I think we had 250 votes on it, and 25 percent of you uh, voted no. But I, I asked if the listeners would be interested in a piss off Pat segment, where a listener calls into the the, the tour junkies voicemail seven zero six six addict, leaves us a voicemail in an effort to say something that might piss you off or that you would disagree with, so that then we can play it on the podcast. And you, you get all worked up about it because it's, it's fun when you get worked up. <laughs> so 75% of, of the people who voted said yes, they would like that. Now, whether or not they actually call in, you know, we'll see. But I think that would be a fun segment to do if you agree to it. I, don't, I didn't ask your permission before running that poll, though. Well, you did. Yeah. I mean, I, I saw it, though. I just wasn't responding much over the, the weekend because, for one, I didn't have my phone. <laughs> right. Um, all right. Let's recap the Northern Trust uh, DJ Spieth showdown. Of course, the the viral shot tracer heard round the world on eighteen in the playoff hole. We've we've seen enough of that. I don't want to beat that dead horse, but um, it was pretty pretty amazing. DJ did a, a pretty good thing there. Uh, so DJ wins in the playoff. We we actually had some decent picks. I mean, we did have some guys miss the cut, but we had nine guys in the top ten. We had thirteen in the top twenty five. We picked 27 golfers and eight missed the cut, uh, including Hideki Bot. That was kind of weird. I didn't see Hideki's missed cut coming. But anyway, um, the, the missed cut number I would have liked to see a little bit lower, but nine in the top 10 and 13 in the top 25. You liked DJ. I liked Spieth. So we both, we both hit there. It's, it's getting pretty chalky this time of year, it seems. It's definitely, yeah. we've seen some chalkiness hit here lately. 
But this week, you know, is going to be different. The Dell Tech um, championship, you've got only 100 players in the field, still going to have top 70 and ties make the cut. A lot of you have asked about that. The tournament does not start until Friday. It goes Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday of Labor Day. We get golf on Labor Day, which is nice. We can sit down and watch all of it uh, with our families and hope you guys enjoy that time. So it is still four rounds. It is still top 70 and ties make the cut. Um, so, you know, 70% or more of your of your of the entire field is going to get is going to get through the cuts. You're going to have a lot of 6 of 6 teams. You're going to have to have 6 of 6 through. And to me, ownership is a huge deal, but before we we kind of talk a little more on strategy and start making picks, Pat, why don't you hit us with the course breakdown, key stats and any strategy for yourself? Sure. Well, uh, as you said, this is the Dell Technologies Championship, which used to be the Deutsche Bank Championship. I almost said douche. The Deutsche Bank Championship at TB- TPC Boston, which is par 71, playing just over 7,300 yards. You got bent grass greens, which tend to play pretty quick. Uh, and I think they'll be quick again this week. Um, the greens are relatively small, too. So, um, you're you're going to want to look at that for me the proximity stat greens and regulation. Um, you know the rough is going to be interesting to me because I, I do think this is a bomber's course. Um, but if you if they cut if they leave the rough high then then you are going to have to hit the fairways. But they're pretty wide here, uh, so they should be pretty easy to hit. So I think bombers are, are really going to be uh, what you see pop. I mean if you look at past champs, you got Rory in 2016, Fowler 2015. Uh, they're both, you know, definitely long off the tee. Chris Kirk was in 14, Stinson in 13, and then in, then you had Rory again back in 2012. So, um, and if you t- if you look at course history and you know that type of thing, there you're going to see a lot of bombers near the top of this, um, you know, in the top 10, top 15. Uh, like you said, I do think it's important to notice this cut line staying at, at 70. It's not quite going to be like a WGC event, which doesn't have a cut at all, but I do think you're going to have to use that same sort of strategy. you got to pick. Um, you're going to have to get six of six through to cash at all. Uh, you do need to look at ownership, especially in the GPPs. Um, the other stats I'm looking at, typical, you know, strokes gain off the tee, uh, strokes gain approach, and then I mentioned proximity. I also think scrambling you've got to look at because, you know, there, there is going to be some rough around the greens. I know uh, Rory last year scrambled pretty good uh, around the greens. So uh, that's that's one thing to be looking at. As far as weather's concerned, Friday and Saturday is going to be really good. But there are going to be some winds, I think, um, Saturday morning at about, I guess, from you know, going to be about 10 to 14 miles per hour. So there could be a chance that you might pick a wave there, but we'll see later on this week. Uh, maybe some rain Sunday and then kind of partly cloudy on Monday. So there you go. That's, that's your quick uh, breakdown. Well, like I said, I think ownership is a big deal this week. You know, with a lot of people having six of six through, it's going to be frustrating if you have six of six and it's so chalky that you're not going to get paid. So... I think weighting ownership is going to be important for me. I am going to have some of the chalk, but I'm trying to look at guys who could go a little lower owned and under the radar. And also I'm going to be fading a lot of guys that I think will have high ownership. So that's just going to be my angle. It's just one of those weeks where in DFS golf, it's it's just a weird week with so many people making the cut. So to me, I'm simplifying things. I'm looking at ownership. I'm looking at um, you know form. I'm looking at what I kind of did with course history is I went and looked historically over the last five years, players and and how many strokes gained total they've they've had in playing this golf course in the last five years. So I'm looking at those guys and uh, and Vegas odds and some of the scenarios, the narratives, like the FedEx Cup standings, the President's Cup plays a factor. You got guys trying to make those uh, the President's Cup team run. And then you've got the FedEx Cup. They've got to be in the top 70 in order to play the BMW, and then they got to be in the top 30 the following week. So you got guys who need to make runs. We've seen a couple of players in particular, one that I'll mention a little bit later, that's made a quite a run the last few weeks just to get in the top 125 and then to get into the field this week. So I think that is a thing. These guys are motivated this time of year and who doesn't want to play for $10 million in the FedEx cup. So, I mean, even the top five get paid out. I think 
the top five at Eastlake, obviously first place gets $10 million on the FedEx Cup, but then uh, fifth place in the FedEx Cup still gets a million, and uh, the, the three guys between that get, get money too. So anyway, something to think about, and that's what I'm looking at. I do think Bombers uh, have the advantage here. We've seen that. And I also know that sand is, is prevalent on this golf course, both in the fairways. So taking a look at you know your, your lines off the tee and your carry distances off the tee is going to be important. And then around the greens, the sand can be, can be a little tricky. So I thought about that as well. All right, let's get into it. I'll make this short and sweet. In the five-digit range, here is where you're going to see right off the bat where DB tries to get a little ownership edge. I am playing one person in the five-digit category, and that is the one person who missed the cut last week in Hideki. Um, he's had three tries here in the last five years. In those three tries, he's gained about six and a half strokes on the field. Uh, last week at the Northern Trust, I looked at where he really struggled, and it was around the green. He, he didn't scramble that well. Um, his putting was benign. But tee to green, he was fine. I, I, I'm, I'm just hoping that he spends a little time on the short game, comes back here, striping the ball just like, he, just like he has been. If his irons are on, he's one of the best proximity players on tour. And, and when, you, when you hit it that close, who needs scrambling, right? So I'm going to jump back on Hideki Bot after he, he ticked off some people. Um, last week, for example, he was around 15% owned on DraftKings and he was 49% owned on FanDuel across most GPPs. So especially ticked off some folks on FanDuel. I mean, half the lineups having FanDuel, uh, having Hideki. So I'm taking the ownership angle with Hideki and, uh, and fading the rest of the 10K range. That's one of my big, bold plays of the week. That's it. Well, I mean, I definitely see why you would do that with Hideki because I'm not a big fan of his this week. I just um, I don't like he, how he played at all last week, especially his putting again kind of cropped up there. So I didn't get to watch a whole lot of golf uh, for obvious reasons, but um, I did, you know, kind of check in with with just why he played bad. I just didn't like, you know, what we saw. But um, for me, though, it's going to be you know it's going to be pretty hard to fade Spieth or DJ. But it makes it harder for me to build the type teams that I want to build this week uh, in order to get those six of six through, and because I really do like a lot of this um, the seven and eight range, um, so I think I'm going to go with some John Rom this week. Is, is going to be probably my top guy. Now I don't know about his ownership. I think his ownership could be a potential problem, especially in in your in your cash games just because you're getting about a $2,000 savings or I guess about $1,400 off of a D, off a DJ. But I do like John Rahm this week. We saw a T3 out of him last week. He's starting to play better. So he will probably be my favorite play in the over 10K range this week. So there you go. Nice, nice. Um, you know, the field's so strong. There, there's not a whole lot of guys in this top tier, whether it's 10K, 9K, whatever, that, that – you know, if you guys asked us, if you guys came to us and said, hey, what do you think about me playing these guys? If you guys like them, there's not a whole lot of guys here I'm going to tell you to just outright fade just because it's such a good field. And, you know, that's why I say it's so much more about ownership to me uh, at this point. So another guy that uh, I've got two guys in the 9K range that I'm going to absolutely hammer. This is where a lot of ownership is going to come into play for me. I'm going to be overweight, and I think both will be a little a little more popular than Hideki. Uh, one is Ricky Fowler at 9,700. He's my absolute favorite. He's my lock of the week. I love Fowler here. Gaining six strokes total in his five tries here recently at TPC Boston. Uh, great driver of the golf ball. Great putter on bent grass. I love watch. I love you know Ricky's chances on bent grass greens. Um, the, the tour's best sand player. So if he finds himself in some trouble, we know he's the best sand player on tour. Great form, and I think the value is there. I mean, ninety seven hundred for Ricky in this field, and I think that's why he is going to be popular. So he's some chalk I'm willing to eat. I'm going to have him in a lot of lineups and a lot of GPPs. He's my guy. I also like a whole lot at ninety one hundred Louis Oosthuizen. Um, Louis coming off a couple of really strong finishes, a second at the PGA. Uh, in, a, in a top 10 last week and making some birdies. Um, I mean, I, I like Louie. Another bomber in three tries. Listen to this. In three tries in the last five years at TPC Boston, Louis Ustazen has gained 30 strokes total on the field. 30. That's like top five in the field at TPC Boston. So clearly loves the golf course and in good form. 
I'm, I'm all about some Louis. So those are the two guys for me in the 9K. I'm going to be pretty disciplined here this week. I'm, I'm nailing down my picks, and I'm sticking to it, and, and that's it in the 9K range. Well, um, I, I'm with you there, especially on Fowler. I mean, Fowler to me is, is probably my favorite play. Like, if I'm going to rank him, including the top, you know, the, the guys over 10K, Fowler's going to be number one for me. So I'm totally with you there. He also, um, you know, checks that proximity box. Keep in mind, again, these are strong or small greens. Um, you're going to have to hit them in good spots, greens and regulations. So I do like um, Ricky for sure. You know, I, I started off not being a huge fan of Day, but if you look at just how he's played this course, I mean, he's got four straight top 15s. Um, you know, he has been playing pretty well lately. Uh, you know, I think, you know, you look at strokes gained around the green, he's eighth in the field there. And then, uh, you know, typically putts well on fast greens. So I do think I'm going to take some Jason Day this week. He's been working out for me, especially in, in some GPPs. So I do like him. Usti, I can't argue with you. I don't know how much I'll have of him, but but I I, I can definitely see why he's popping. So All right, go. moving into the 8K range, I got two guys here as well. Both I I, I agree will be a little chalky. Kucher is one. I mean, Kuch, you just again can't argue with the form. I feel like we've said that all year. His form has just been good all year. Yeah. In, in five tries in the last five years at TPC Boston, gained 22 strokes on the field. So even though he's not a bomber, we've seen Kucher just continue to play really well. And, and um, I think he's really wanting to make a run for the FedEx. So uh, I like Kucher at 8,800. I think it's a great savings. And then at 8,600, just below him, Kevin Chappell. I'm a huge fan of Chappell this week. In fantastic form. In four tries in the last five years at TPC Boston, he's gained 14 strokes total. He is also, him and Charlie Hoffman are kind of jockeying for one of those final President's Cup spots and could lock it up with a really good performance here this week. And, and I'm going to go with Chapel, and I'm fading Hoffman this week. So Chapel's my guy. I do think he's a little pricey. Uh, maybe the value is a little bit better on FanDuel or Fantasy Draft, but I'm, I'm going to play him anyway. Um, you know, one, one thing I noticed, he's lost a stroke, uh, about one stroke putting for most of the year, okay? Most of the year, that's been where he's not been gaining strokes. He's a great tee to green player. But last week of the Northern Trust, he gained over four strokes putting. Obviously, that, that helped him get to a T6 finish. If he's found a little something on the greens, you combine that with his, you know, consistent ball striking, Chapel's just a stud. So... I'm going to have a, a plenty of exposure to Kevin Chaplin. I'm going to play the President's Cup narrative for him as well. So those are my two guys in the 8K. Wow, it's just kind of a love fest tonight because I'm with you. Chapel's probably my favorite guy in the 8K. I mean, he's checking the boxes, strokes gained off the tee, strokes gained approach, that proximity stat I always mention. Uh, obviously, his recent form has been pretty good. His course history is good here too. I mean, uh, you look at his last year, he was T8 and then 12th the year before that. He's never missed the cut here. So totally with you, old Chapel. Uh, how about this for a narrative? How about Sergio Garcia? And I, we got to say that, you know, definitely praying for all the folks in Houston and the, the, the hurricane and the flooding there. And Sergio came out today and said he's going to give 2000 for every birdie and 5000 for every eagle that he makes over the next three events in the playoffs. So I'm pulling for birdies and eagles out of Sergio Garcia, and I'm, I'm going to play him. Uh, you know, he does, again, he's, he's obviously played really well this year. I think that $8,400 price tag is a little bit too cheap. He may be a little bit chalky, but, you know, skip last week, which he typically does. He always seems to skip the first playoff event. But um, So I do like Sergio Garcia at 8400 and that's probably about it. I'm, I'm with you on, on Cooch, so I'm not, I'm not going to argue that, there. And other than that, I'm dropping right into the 7K range uh, after Sergio. And I'm gonna. I'm well, gonna, I, I I like the Sergio narrative. I think that's a good. I didn't I didn't know that. I've seen a, a number of other players. I know John Peterson, JT Poston talked about some of that in some events there. Uh, I guess in the Web.com finals. Um, so I, I like that. That's that's. By the way, the Web.com finals. You guys should watch that. Starts this week as well. Uh, take a look at that because you got 25 more guys. If they make it through the Web.com finals, they're going to get their PGA Tour card. So 
should be a lot of fun to watch. And there's going to be some names in there you're going to recognize that we've had on the PGA Tour that, that didn't make it in the top 125. So watch that. And also while we're, while we're here, another thing we didn't mention is in a field, in a small field like this with so many making the cut and having to differentiate your lineups, consider leaving more money on the table than you're normally comfortable with. So you got a lot of good players here um, and you need to differentiate. So don't be afraid to leave four figures on the, uh, on the table, in a, especially in larger GPP contests. I'm thinking about that because I'm looking at the six guys in the 7K range that I like, and I can roster all six of them, and it looks like an amazing lineup. And, of course, <laughs> I've, got a, I've got a couple thousand dollars on the table. So don't be afraid to do something like that in a big contest. But, Pat, why don't you kick off the 7K range? Well, right at the top, I mean, I think Adam Scott is is probably my favorite play here. Um, He's the duh play of the week. Yeah, he really is. I mean, this is just the price is ridiculous. It's probably going to be higher owned, but I mean, come on, you got to play him. Fourth here last year, he's going to check the box for strokes gained off the tee and strokes gained approach. Uh, This is just it's just kind of a dummy price here. So I think that I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna still I'm gonna go with him. I love him. I like Daniel Berger, too, at 7,600. Another guy I think is probably way too cheap. I mean, let's just not forget that he, he was coming off um, just a few weeks ago having, you know, what was it, two straight victories? So I think that, you know, Berger at 7,600 is going to be a, a core play for me. Here's here's where I might go off off the rails a little bit, maybe like my draft. <laughs> but I, I think I'm going to play some Bubba at 7,500. Um, Hmm. you know, obviously we know he's long off the tee. He's been putting better, if you've noticed over the last few events. So I think, uh, I I think he's going to be he's going to be kind of my. Now look, if you're just wanting to go safe and you're getting your core guys for cash or whatever else, Bubba's not that guy. But I think he's going to be lower owned than he than he he should be. Um, he's been playing pretty well. Like I mean, he did miss the cut a few weeks ago, but had a T10 last week. Uh, so I will I will play some Bubba, and then dropping below that a guy that we faded last week, but just continues to just be even though he's the DFS darling, but just con- continues to play solid week in and week out, and that is Patrick Cantlay at seventy two hundred. I mean, strokes gained machine, and you know he had another I think it was a top ten finish last week. So I think he is another guy that is going to be, you know, right there uh, as one of my favorite plays this week. So there you go. Well, and, and piggybacking on the Adam Scott pick, in four tries here in the last five years, gained 23 strokes total on the field. Also, you forgot one thing, the nappy factor, man. Oh, he, yeah. he, they just They just had their second baby. The wife um, gave birth to a, a little boy, so he's got that off of his shoulders. He's got a little week or two of rest. He disappointed me, including some other people at the PGA Championship. I looked back at that. He lost four strokes putting at the PGA, which is really what led to his demise. And we know that that's Adam Scott's worst thing, right? Like, he sucks ever since the anchor ban. He can't putt. Hopefully, the ball striking stays intact. If he finds a little bit on the putter, I just think the price is too good to pass on a guy that's major championship quality and and caliber and can win an event like this very easily. Um, so I like the nappy factor there with Adam. I agree with you on Daniel Berger. In two tries at the TPC Boston, he's gained seven shots on the field. His odds are 66 to 1, which should put him a little higher priced on DraftKings. I think he's a good value there. Looks like he found some form last week at the Northern Trust after really just royally screwing everyone at the uh, – at the at the PGA Championship, um, and I agree with you on Patrick Cantlay. I mean, I, the guy clearly belongs in you know in a high quality field like this. Great price, great form. He's actually fiftieth in the FedEx Cup standing, so he's uh, he, he's he's in there for next week as long as he stays as long as he doesn't lose too much ground to his competition. But got to be in the top seventy next week. He's number fifty, and he's going to be playing to eke up into that top thirty, so he can lock up Eastlake. Last week at the Northern Trust, that fool gained 11 strokes tee to green. 11. Mm-hmm. Patrick Cantlay is a ball-striking machine, and he just, he's another just fantastic value. A couple more that I like. Um, 
I'm going back to Keegan Bradley. I've been riding Keegan Bradley, and you know what? He hasn't burned me. Like, he's a strokes gained off the tee guy. He's a strokes gained approach guy. In four tries at the TPC Boston, he's gained 21 shots total on the field. He's a New England-Boston guy. He's gonna, it's kind of going to feel like a home game for him. He's, and I think it's a good price at $7,600. I'm going to have some Keegan. I also like Bud Cawley at $7,200. Um, last week at the Northern Trust, he lost all of his shots scrambling. Um, but if you look at his last five events, even considering the Northern Trust, he's actually gained uh, a little over a shot on the field in the strokes gained around the green. So typically a good scrambler, but even when you take, even when you include the Northern Trust, which he did not perform so well in, um, he's, he's still positive in that number. So it seems like he just had kind of a fluky week scrambling at the Northern Trust, which led to a, a poor performance. So I think ownership is going to be a little suppressed since, uh, you know, since he did miss the cut at the Northern Trust. He is 67th in the FedEx Cup standing. So he's right there on the bubble of the top 70 to advance to the BMW next week. He's going to be motivated and obviously he's a fantastic ball striker. So to me, Bud Cawley is a great play. And then finally, my last play in the 7K range, a guy who finished third at the Northern Trust and um, seems to you know, be rounding into form here lately is Jonathan Vegas. I mean, Man, fantastic, <laughs> fantastic form. I mean, he, he had a bunch of missed cuts in a row, then came out of nowhere, um, I mean, after, let's see, five missed cuts in a row, won the RBC Canadian, then finished 17th at the Bridgestone, missed the cut at the PGA, and then comes back with a tie, uh, a tie for third last week at the Northern Trust. Just for the $7,000 price tag, you know, I, I don't feel safe with him in a cash, in a cash scenario, but I, I like the form, I like the value, I like the bomber angle. I don't, you know, I'm going to have some exposure to him. So that leaves us the $6,000 range, which I'm not going to have a whole lot in the 6K range, but I will let, uh, I'll let you start, Pat. Who, do you have anybody in this, uh, in this range? I, I'm actually with you. I, don't have, I need to mention one more guy, though, in the 7 range, uh, if we haven't mentioned enough already. But I, I think kind of a sneaky play is Jason Kokrak at 7,400. Obviously, we know he can get it off the tee. He does check the box on strokes gained approach, and he has a pretty good course history here. I mean, if you look at, um, I think it last year he was, um, hang on, bear with me real quick. Uh, yeah, he was T8 last year. He did miss the cut the year before that, but 16th uh, in 2014. And then just, you know, looking kind of at, at recent form, he's been he's been pretty good. I mean, he's made his last three cuts, top 25 last week, T16 the week before. Uh, and then a 33rd place finish at the PGA. So I think Kokrak could be kind of a sneaky GPP play in that 7K range. So, well, but- actually, and you, you're, you remind me of something there. So a guy, I, I do have one more guy in the 7K range that is a total <laughs> sneaky GPP ownership play because he burned a lot of lineups last week. He burned a lot of my lineups last week with a miscut at the Northern Trust after really being in phenomenal form all the uh, way back to the spring. Jamie Lovemark, yeah. what happened to him last week? I mean, he shot a 78 round one and a 72 on round two. He only had four birdies in both rounds. You know, just horrible performance from Jamie Lovemark, but... I mean, before that, one of the just most consistent players that we've seen um, on tour here lately, definitely a bomber. So the course fit for the TPC Boston is there. And I think his ownership is going to be extremely low after last week. And he's 54th in the FedEx Cup. So like he can't, he can't miss the cut this week. Like if he misses the cut this week, depending on what happens, he could easily get past and find his season over. So I feel like Lovemark, you know, walked away from the Northern Trust after Friday and, and went and figured some stuff out and knows he needs to play well up here to uh, to keep his season going strong. That it, you know, and he's really shown that he's a better golfer than that this whole year. So jumping on a guy who just burned some people and really played awful last week, Jamie Lovemark's your play. All right, well, get to, it, you get to well, the six K range. Yeah, well, on in that light, I mean, a guy right there at the top at the 6K range that did the same thing and missed the cut was Francesco Molinari. I mean, we yep. loved him last week. He he checks all the boxes. I think that he could easily play well here. He's not known as a bomber, but even if you look at strokes gained off the tee just over the last, um, you know, 
three or four tournaments. I mean, he's he's ranking up there in the top 20, you know, number two in the field in strokes gained approach. Also, he's top 10 in the field in strokes gained around the greens. I think that he's a guy coming off a missed cut that you got to jump back on. Uh, don't worry about last week. I, I think it, it may have just not been a good course fit for him. It was a new course that, that they haven't played. So I, I do like Molinari. Uh, and also, I think a, a, a pretty good play down here. Who's a guy who's you? This is maybe the guy you were alluding to earlier, but I think Harold Varner the third is another Absolutely. good play down here at sixty eight hundred. Um, has just been you know ever since he was right there on the bubble has just been playing fantastic. Um, he hits it a long way. He may be short in stature, but the guy still he can bomb it out there. So I think that um, those are two of my favorite guys right there in the uh, in the six six K range. Yeah, I've only got three guys in the six K range that I'm going to find exposure to, and you just named two of them. I agree with you on Malinari after the miscut, uh, and I went back and looked at it. He lost three strokes putting at the Northern Trust last week. He missed the cut on the number and just didn't have the flat stick. You know, last week was that POA that was somewhat putting like bent grass but it was poa and you know it and it was a new course new green surfaces molinari is one of the best short knocker on long course players on the pga (laughs) tour he's a great ball striker he continued to do that well at the northern trust so if he keeps that up this week and finds a little bit of form on some quicker bent grass greens uh, I think he's a great a great angle for some suppressed ownership. I mean, if his ownership numbers last week, he was 20% owned in DraftKings across the board and 24% owned on FanDuel. So did did irritate a, a number of folks and to be 6900 bucks, he's a pretty good player. He's played well in some in some good fields and majors and WGCs. I like it. Harold Varner is the guy I was alluding to. Fantastic player and has really turned up the heat since uh, since needing to finish in the in the top 125. He's currently ranked 91st in the FedEx Cup, so he has got to move forward, you know, uh, 20, 21 spots. He's got to move up to, to play next week. So he is going to be motivated. He is a bomber. He is a ball striker. He is a scorer. You know, sometimes that can get him in trouble, but 70% of the field is going to make the cut this week. So why not take a gamble on a guy like Werner, especially at the price tag? So I like him a lot. And then the last guy who I think is going to give me the biggest ownership edge or leverage, um, because I think he's going to be the lowest owned of the three I'm, I'm mentioning, has missed his last two cuts coming off of previously pretty pretty good form, and that's James Hahn. Missed the cut last week. He shot a 60. This sounds like something you or I do. He shot a 69 on round one and then shot a 79 on round two. Two shots, 10 shots different. <laughs> like, that's just like my golf game. Like, one day I'm going to go out and shoot an 80, and then the next day I'm going to shoot a 90. So it does happen to the pros, people. Just feel good about yourself with that. So I'm not really sure what happened with the 79 on round two, but Han is a good player, and, and Han likes to show up in these random spots. He's 60th in the FedEx Cup ranking. He's just inside the top 70 for next week. And like I said, I think the ownership's going to be extremely low, um, and his price tag, I mean, it's the it's the lowest in the field at 6700 i believe this week so uh that that rounds it out for me i'm going to take some i'm going to take some ownership of james hahn so that's it anybody hey, else for you no that's i think we've just about covered it it's uh and and hahn actually just to top it off there with a little cherry was you know did have a fifth place finish here last year so um there you go but yeah that's that's i think we've we've covered it here we mentioned a lot of guys but you know, it's it's. Uh, I'm excited. The playoffs are fun. Playoffs so. are a good time. Uh, Web.com finals. Don't forget those. The, the playoffs there. Watch that this week. That should be a lot of fun. And don't forget items for sale in the Tour Junkie shop. The One Groove Low article coming from Ash Morrison. Make sure you read that. And uh, yeah, may your screens be green. Hope you guys have a fantastic week. We will be back next week for the BMW. As we break that down, only 70 players in that field next week. So it should be a good time. So, Pat, that's all I got, man. I'm good to go. Let's, let's, uh, let's get out of here. All right, everybody have a good week. See ya! Oh! What you doing? I'm running out of space on my phone, so I'm deleting some stuff. By singing dog. 
Bye, goal. I pronounce you Bye, wedding ceremony. Stop! At MetroPCS, you get two free phones with twice as much memory. Really? Don't say bye to your memories. Switch to MetroPCS and get two free LG K20 Plus phones with 32 gigs when you switch two lines. MetroPCS. Wireless. Figured out. Coverage not available in some areas. Sales tax not included in phone price. Excludes numbers on the T-Mobile network. See store for details and terms and conditions. What you doing? Ran out of space on my phone, so I'm deleting some stuff. Bye, singing dog. Bye, goal. I pronounce you Bye, wedding ceremony. Stop! At MetroPCS, you get two free phones with twice as much memory. Really? Don't say bye to your memories. Switch to MetroPCS and get two free LG K20 Plus phones with 32 gigs when you switch two lines. MetroPCS. Wireless. Figured out. Coverage not available in some areas. Sales tax not included in phone price. Excludes numbers on the T-Mobile network. See store for details and terms and conditions. Lowe's knows you'll do it right to find the right gifts for Dad this Father's Day. We do it right, too, with deals that'll make Dad as proud as his perfectly seared steak and his perfectly manicured lawn. Now get a Charbroil 4-Burner Advantage Series gas grill for just $169 and pick up your choice of Craftsman gas or electric string trimmer for only $99 each. Make this Father's Day his best one yet. And do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Charbroil offer valid through 612. Craftsman offer valid through 619 U.S. only. Lowe's knows you'll do it right to find the right gifts for Dad this Father's Day. We do it right, too, with deals that'll make Dad as proud as his perfectly seared steak and his perfectly manicured lawn. Now get a Charbroil 4-Burner Advantage Series gas grill for just $169 and pick up your choice of Craftsman gas or electric string trimmer for only $99 each. Make this Father's Day his best one yet. And do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Charbroil offer valid through 612. Craftsman offer valid through 619 U.S. only.